Hello, I'm Luca De Giglio, and this is the Web3 in Travel podcast, where you can learn about crypto, blockchain, and how the new internet will change travel. Today, we are going to talk about the recent crypto crash. We will see what happened, why it happened, and what it means for Web3 in travel. What happened is that the market has crashed. Bitcoin had a strong correction, Ethereum had a strong correction, altcoins an even stronger correction, and one specific coin, actually two, went to basically zero. Some numbers. Bitcoin on the 9th of May went from about $34,000 to 27,700, actually to 27,000, even a bit less, three days later. So 34 to 27, which is about 20% loss in three days. Ethereum lost about 25% in the same period of time. And many, many coins lost much, much more. Now, I realize I use the term correction uh, which is not the right term for this. This is a crash. Um, but I didn't do it by mistake. For me, a 20% drop of Bitcoin, a 25% drop of Ethereum in the space of three days is a correction. It's not a crash. It depends on what we mean by words, right? So if crash means something is going down in a somewhat not recoverable way, like it crashes and then it doesn't go back or doesn't go back for a long time, that's actually a crash and I would agree. But in crypto, 20-25% can be quickly recovered. Now, will it recover? I don't think it will recover in the short term because apart from what happened with the crash of these days, this is part of uh, a cycle and this is probably the end of the bull run we've seen for the last couple of years. In November, about six months ago, Bitcoin reached its new all-time high, ATH, that's the term we use. And since then, it's just been going down. Before this last crash, we had already reached like 50% less of the all-time high. So I don't think we can say that one event was able to kill the market. And this was more reminiscent of what happened in the last cycle with BitConnect, which was a very clear Ponzi scheme, which collapsed. And then after that collapse, basically nothing moved again for a couple of years. So markets have cycles. And at the end of the cycles, things tend to happen. And often what happens is like an ex excessive greed brings down the whole house, but it will go down anyway, maybe just slower. And this is at least my own reading of the situation. Well, we all, or most of us, were expecting the bear market. We just didn't know when. It turns out it's probably now, and it's a good timing for a, for a bear market to, to start. It corresponds to a general bear market in, in every market. Some tech stocks like PayPal, Netflix, and Facebook, etc., they are down even more than Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. And that's a first. Usually, the you know, traditional stock market, what we call TreadFi, 
never crashes more than crypto. And this, for the first time, crypto has crashed more than, than the, the stock market. Now, we don't know what's going to happen in the next months. Probably the correction is not over. Probably we're going to go lower. That wouldn't surprise me at all. But let's say that we are in a bear market. Let's assume it so we can work our way out of it. Let's see what happened exactly, uh, what you probably have heard in the mainstream media. So the token which completely collapsed was Luna. Luna meaning moon in Italian and I guess in other languages too. I think Spanish too, but it's on the blockchain Terra and Terra is Italian. I think only Italian. So Terra and Luna. Terra is a blockchain which is part of the Cosmos environment, which means it's an interesting experiment on a new kind of way to create blockchains. So instead of running your own nodes, you use the nodes of the existing Cosmo ecosystem. So it's like a blockchain to create blockchains. And they created Terra blockchain on top of it. And Terra had one main product. The product was UST, a stablecoin. We talked about stablecoins before. A stablecoin is simply a coin which always tries to be worth one US dollar. It makes life easier for everybody when transacting. It allows us to, when we want to sell some crypto, instead of going back to fiat money, we, we stay in crypto, but with a stable coin. So it's like, if you think the market is going down, you, you sell your cryptocurrencies and you get stable coins. If you think the market is going up, you sell your stable coins and you buy cryptocurrencies or if you have to pay somebody and that the agreed price is in dollars there you go you just send them one thousand dollars of like usdt usdc or any other stable coin now terra was an algorithmic stable coin meaning well let's start from the existing non-algorithmic stable coins this is again it's not specific to web3 and travel but these are basic building blocks of of DeFi. you need to know what these things are so there are backed or baked, I don't know how to pronounce that, stablecoins like USDT, the first one from the company Tether, which say for every dollar, for every USDT dollar, so crypto dollar, we have one real dollar, one American dollar to back it up. So every time we create some of those dollars and then we sell them for real dollars, we have like the same amount. So if there's 10 billion USDT, there are 10 billion USDT in the bank. Now, they are not in the bank because, and that's a long story, but they have assets, different kinds of assets, which theoretically back them up. I won't get you into the USDT story. Uh, some people say it's a scam. Some people say it's fine. It's there. It's been there since the beginning. It's, I think, still the biggest. It's never lost his peg or maybe didn't lose the peg for more than a short period of time. So USDT as a concept is $1, one USDT. That's it. Similar stablecoins are USDC and BUSD. They claim or they have whatever. They, they say that for every dollar, for every stablecoin, they have $1 in the bank or somewhere else, whatever. So this is one kind, the simplest to understand, the hardest to, if you want, verify because bank accounts are not transparent. So you need a third party firm to confirm that actually the dollars are there. So they kind of work together with the fiat system. They're not purely 
Web3 wrong term probably here. No, they're not purely crypto dollars. They need the cooperation of the existing financial institutions. If tomorrow we, we launched a new stablecoin baked by dollars and I put in my bank $1 million and you, you give me a million dollars for these ones I print and I put them in the bank, well, we have to trust that the bank doesn't shut down the account. We have to trust that you have to trust me that actually the money is still in the bank or you have to trust the auditing company which comes in and says, yeah, we looked at Lucas' account. He has a million dollars there today. What about tomorrow? Well, you cannot audit every day, can you? So you see how it's complicated because the traditional financial system, it doesn't have the same transparency properties as DeFi, as crypto. I can see exactly how many USDT exist. I can see immediately how many Bitcoin exist. I have no idea how much money any, anyone has in the bank. So to have something more native to crypto and less exposed to the financial system and thus to governments and any kind of actions from the governments, DAI was invented. DAI is a completely crypto native stablecoin, which is over collateralized, meaning if you want to have, let's say, you have a NEAT, which is worth $2,000. They won't give you $2,000. They're going to give you 50% less. So you have to collateralize it for 150% because the price of it could go down. And so you will be under collateralized. So without getting too much into the technicalities, to have DAI, to have a native stablecoin, we have to put a lot of money as collateral, so, so to block it there, right? So it's it's hard for it to grow a lot because, well, you know, you need to be extra secure because Ether is, ETH, again, sorry, is volatile. And if it goes down, the die won't, the, the whole amount of money in the die contracts will be less than the whole amount of die, so dollars. So you need to over collateralize. Now, this is a problem. I mean, die works, it's been around for, a long time, I think since uh, the end of 2017, so it's five years, it works, but it doesn't really scale enough according to some people. So people have been trying experimenting with under-collateralized stablecoins, saying we can have a lot of stablecoins in the system with a guarantee, with a, with a deposit, which is lower than their value, which would allow the stablecoins to, to grow much more, so to have more of them. Now, why do we need that? I'm not 100% sure. I'm not that expert in that. But there's been a lot of research. And the research and the experiments have been in algorithmic stablecoins. And the algorithm basically is a kind of automatic system which says, oh, the price of this token, which should be $1, is now $1.01 or $1.1. What can we do? Well, let's sell it so the price goes down. And then if the price goes down to 95 cents, well, let's buy it. So it goes back to $1. And this is all automatic. Now, there's been several attempts at algorithmic stablecoins, and they all failed. They all failed. And all of them lost their peg, or they sometimes never reached it. By peg, I mean peg to $1. It means value of a dollar. So... When a stablecoin loses its peg, it means it loses the value of $1. It goes lower or higher. Tangentially, there's been pegged currencies in the real world, in fiat money, 
in the past and they also tend to lose the peg after a while. Keeping the peg is hard. It's hard because it depends a lot on what people think. If people think that you are not backed, they're going to sell them and the price will crash. Now, if you really are completely collateralized, you can buy them back. But sometimes it's not that easy. Even USDT, if everybody starts selling it, how fast can Tether buy back all the USDT people are dumping and keep the price there? The idea is that if I own $10,000 in a stable coin and I think this stable coin is at risk, I would, I would sell it for $8,000. It doesn't matter what you tell me. It doesn't matter what you do. I will be happily selling it for $8,000. Somebody may buy it or not. If somebody doesn't buy it, the price goes down to 7 And then I will try to sell it at 7 and then you go into this debt spiral, which is the biggest risk for stablecoin. Because we are trying to keep a token connected to a value, which is an arbitrary value in the real world. And unless people believe that this value is there, it just won't stay there. So Luna. Luna tried a new thing, which turned out not to be really so new. And they kind of managed for a while to convince everybody that this was sustainable. And it maybe was. I don't know. I'm not going to get into this discussion if Luna and USD, which is a stablecoin they, they created, was sustainable or not. It appears to me not. I don't have skin in the game because I wasn't invested and I didn't even know it at all before that. I, I heard about it, but I never studied it. And after it happened, I start looking at it and I see, you know, arguments on both sides. Some people say it was not possible that it could stay packed. And other people say, yeah, it was possible. It just was attacked at the wrong moment when it wasn't big enough by very big players. But without getting into that, what happened is that the faith in the pack in the UST was gone. Because people, somebody started selling a lot of them, the price went down, they tried to keep it up by buying more, they couldn't, and so it crashed. It crashed to basically zero. So people had bought this um, stablecoin, look at the name, stable, thinking that if I put $10,000, it's going to be worth $10,000. Yeah, I'm not going to get the you know, high returns of buying other cryptos, which could multiply but you know, I'm just going to get the same money in a few months plus a 20% interest rate if I deposit them into a pool. And the pool was called Anchor. 20% uh, is a lot. And that was kind of the danger because where was the 20% coming from? From the emission of more of those tokens. So that's where people say it wasn't sustainable. Whatever. I'm not going to talk about this too much. The point is that a failed experiment crashed and a lot of people lost a lot of money. Some say this is causing a bear market. I don't agree with that. I think the bear market was happening anyway. Maybe it would have happened a bit later, a bit slower. I don't know. Uh, but there we are. We are potentially in a bear market. So what does it mean for web chain travel? So let's see the various aspects. The first thing which is happening is that a lot of people are going to leave crypto. These are what we tend to call the tourists. And tourists in the sense that they 
they appear when there's a bear mar- uh, bull market, when everything goes up, they, they start FOMOing, you know, fear of missing out. They get into this game, they start playing. Most of them get hurt before they, they don't get out on time. So they get hurt when they, there's the crash, the inevitable crash. And then they leave and we see them come back maybe four years later at the next bull run. So these are really the victims of this kind of markets. They don't understand cycles. They tend to think in terms of herd mentality. If everybody's buying, it means it's good to buy. If everybody's selling, it means it's good to sell. If nobody's buying, it means it's not good. It's not a good time to buy. But this is about markets. But they they also do the same in terms of technology. So everybody was talking about NFTs. Great, NFTs are great. Let me get into it. Then nobody speaks about NFTs anymore. NFTs are dead, while the exact contrary tends to happen, and we're going to get to there. So many people living. In general, less interest from everyone about crypto, or as we call it now, Web3. So there's less attention, less mainstream attention. With many people leaving, there's also a few of the people who weren't there in the previous cycle, they got in and they are not leaving. So compared to the previous cycle, we have more people now. That's always the same. So the base of people who actually get deep into Web3 and understand it and, and they want to bet their time and career and money in it grows at every cycle. Now, what does it mean for adoption in travel? Well, I have to be honest, it doesn't really change much, does it? Did we have did we have a lot of adoption this cycle? Yeah, maybe. It's really hard to count, right? To calculate. It doesn't matter because adoption happens in cycles. It happened this time too, for sure. We're still very far from any level of critical mass allowing us to do something really impactful or at least globally impactful. I mean, globally in terms of for everyone. Uh, we can do impactful things for a subset of the population. And then regulation will happen faster. Um, I suspect the regulation will come mostly on stable coins, not really on travel-related Web3 stuff. Uh, but yeah, again, regulation is another of those things which have to happen. It's always okay if they don't happen too early because regulation tends to be um, to, to stifle innovation and is not usually that good at protecting the, the consumer. But still, regulation is coming. It was coming all the time. It's just going to come maybe a bit faster. I, we could be argued that in travel, having regulation is, is even better because still, when you travel, there's your person moving, right? So you end up anyway in a hotel where you have to show your credit card or, sorry, your, your passport. So. Um, while I'm sure there's good reasons to be like unregulated, especially at the beginning, or having the possibility to do private things on, on travel, there's always some choke points in which you have to show your passport. So I'm not sure regulation will affect that badly the Web3 in travel. Maybe actually it will make it faster because most people in travel want regulation, want to work in a regulated environment don't have the same reading we, many of us, have that regulation sometimes, most of the time, sorry, it's, it's worse than no regulation because it tends to be done very badly. 
maybe the Airbnb story here is, is a good reminder of how unregulated markets bring innovation. And then regulation, even if needed, tends to make things even worse. But yeah, so again, less interest from the mainstream, many people leaving, slower adoption, and regulation. On the positive side, usually bear markets bring a lot of real innovation, real work. People trying to build something which is valuable while the market is not giving any value. So there's less easy money to be raised to build something, you know, just, just because you can raise money, you can build something. Sometimes it's more like, let's raise money because now we can. And we kind of figure out later what we can build. And in the bear markets, you, you can't do that. So you build something often without even having the money because you think it's valuable. And the market being against you, it has to be valuable. Also, most developers who stay into this industry during a bear market are really in it for the fundamentals which basically means decentralization and all the aspects, all the properties deriving from decentralization. Now, during bull markets, everybody's kind of playing around with Web3. Everybody's doing things because it's easy to, again, raise money and it's easy to raise interest. Everybody's looking at the space. When the bear market comes or the winter comes, you know, there's no more playing around. You do something because you believe into it. There's no instant gratification. There's a protracted pain usually. And you're not going to spend time building something just trying to catch the hype. That's the biggest drawback of bull markets. Uh, you build something because it's hot right now. And you build it quickly and speed is of the essence, you know, before the hype dies down, then what you do? Well, you cut corners. And where do you cut corners? Where you cut corners in the expensive and hard things to do. What are the expensive and hard things to do? Decentralization. Decentralizing is expensive. Decentralizing is hard. Let me reiterate this part. It, to build a layer one like Ethereum, you know, you could have all the money in the world. Um, to really have it decentralized, you need to convince people to switch over because you need a big base, right? And if you have money, you're gonna be, it's going to be easy for you to have people switching over based on monetary incentives. You know, you just pay people to use your chain through airdrops, through staking rewards, etc. That's the easy part. Now, when the staking rewards, when that money ends, those people will leave for the next chain. It's, it's VC money they want, they want to have. It's, you know, in, in terms of incentives, it's, it's a good strategy for them. But they won't stay with you. So how do you convince people to be with you because you are building something really valuable, meaning decentralized? Well, that's hard. You have to move people away from decentralized chains. You have to move people away from blockchain, from Bitcoin. And you have to move people away from Ethereum. So how do you convince people to leave Ethereum? Well, this is hard. It's really hard. Because you need to have not only a much better idea, and everybody's come out with many new ideas, but you need also to 
convince them that you are in it for the real decentralization. And this is really hard. So projects born in bear markets are usually the winners of the bull markets. Uniswap is the biggest example. It's been built in the bear market of 2017, 18, and 19, when nobody was looking at it. There were a few million dollars in the, in the protocol, a few million, not the billions which are there now. Actually, in, at the end of 2018, Uniswap had $200,000 of total locked value. And that was December. Like December, a year later, they had, yeah, you know, 20 millions. So they went from 200,000 to 20 millions, but 20 millions is nothing. It really started going up in, at the end of September, at the end of 2020, when it reached 1 billion and then 1 billion 700. And then at the top, it had 10 billion in it. Now it's down to 6 billion. But it was built on those numbers, on hundreds of thousands of dollars, not millions nor billions. Now, during the next winter, I'm going to switch now from bear market to winter, which I prefer. I think is much more precise in describing what, what it is. It's uh, a very lonely time and a cold time, and it's cyclical. So after winter, for how hard it can be, Spring comes and then summer comes. And this is a fact of life in, in these market cycles. So as I was saying, in the next winter, there's going to be new protocols coming up. Uh, protocols which at first nobody will look, uh, nobody will use, and then slowly somebody will try out. And then maybe, for sure, some of them in the next cycle are going to be huge. Even in travel, I would say this time, because, you know, two years, three years from now, we are going to see some protocols which are used in travel too. Uh, not yet at those levels as in DeFi, because again, adoption is not there and it won't be there in two or three years. But we are going to see something really concrete in the next market. So the fact that the bear market or the, the, the summer is over also means that the next summer is closer. So we have this time to build and we want to be ready for the next cycle to come up with something which really changes travel or at least starts changing travel, making it more open and resilient and profitable for everybody. So we're getting there. We're getting closer. Um, in terms of Web3 travel, we are not still thinking in, in market cycles because there's been no real industry that is not a real web3 industry yet there is something right we talked about projects and we talked about this a lot but the industry the travel industry is 99.999999 still on web2 even if the next cycle 1% goes web3 that's already huge and i can't wait for you know the time when we're there because we've been waiting and working toward this for a long time so yeah, end of the bull market, portfolios are down, networks are down, but the day in which web trouble starts upgrading to web3 is much closer. Also, the destruction in the sense of we are distracted uh, of the, 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 the bull market, the, the summer, 
is is gone or will be gone unless the bull market decides to continue. Uh, so we can concentrate again, hundred percent on simply building, learning, getting ready, etc. Even in terms of airdrops, let's go back to airdrops because you know I know this is one of these uh, things which no one wants to talk about, but everybody's really excited in the sense that we all want to get a lot of airdrops in the next season or during this bear market too. This is a time in which instead of buying and selling coins or trying to you know get the next one before everybody else or trying to get out before everybody gets out, all this you know trading activity we do even if we try not to do it in a way, we can focus on exploring. And as I said before, airdrops are the reward of the explorer. You go in uncharted territories, you go in where nobody has been before, and you find gold. And if you enjoy the process of exploring and you don't do it because of the airdrop or because of the gold, it's going to be fantastic. Because the things we're going to learn in this winter and the experiments we will do in this winter are going to be very profitable in every sense of the term in the next summer. So if during this cycle you approached Web3, and even if you have been hurt by Web3, and hurt could be that you have invested in Terra, so that's the worst case scenario, or whatever you bought, Ethereum, Bitcoin is down, uh, don't leave. These Whatever you have lost so far, um, and again, if you bought Bitcoin, Ethereum, or other majors, usually you just have to wait and they're going to go back. So you haven't lost anything. But even if you lost actually money, leaving now could be the most expensive mistake you do because now it's when you prepare for the next cycle. Now it's when you learn the important things, the important skills you can sell on the market, on the work market, in the next cycle. So you have probably made mistakes. We all have done our mistakes in, in our journey in Web3. Uh, nothing is more expensive than leaving at the beginning of the winter. We'll be here. We'll be busy. We'll be having fun, probably even more fun than during the summer. So stay with us. And I promise you, you will not regret this. All right, this is the end of today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. For more insights on Web3, follow me on Twitter at TripLuca, T-R-I-P-L-U-C-A. And see you next time.